Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosan Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Chris Beyer, as always, with my co-host, Jim Martin. Hello, all of our fans. Tonight, we've got a very special guest. We say that a lot, don't we? We do. That's true. Yep. I, I noticed that too. Yeah, But, well, but I, some I, are more special than others. That, that's, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, this is that, a more special guest. It is more special. That is our guest <laughs> chiming in. And we have Mr. Mayor, Mr. Dennis McBride, the mayor of Wauwatosa, the city that uh, this podcast emanates from. Welcome, Mayor Dennis McBride. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks yeah. for being here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. All right. It's been nice. I, I, I wish you a good night. Okay. Yep. Take care. Okay. Check in from the mayor and he's off. Okay. <laughs> Actually, we had another politician on. We had our alderman here in the first district, the fighting first. Fighting first. That's right. Fighting first. <laughs> James Moldenhauer. And Jim's a, one of the finest aldermen that we've ever had in Wauwatosa. A really good guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was great on the show. Yep. And Are a Wauwatosa's high school graduate. Right. Go yeah. Raiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How should we refer? Should we say Mr. What do people say? Mr. Mayor, Dennis, what, they, what should we do? Well, someone called me mayor the other day and I said, my parents weren't smart enough to name me mayor. So they called me Dennis. And uh, unless it's a formal occasion, you can call me Dennis. All right. Okay, nope. Mr. Mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm intimidating. <laughs> we want to start this first half of the interview actually talking a little politics. We usually don't do this on the podcast. In fact, hardly ever. But we've got a mayor on. we got the politician here, so we might as well talk a little politics. You know, there's an old saying that says, may you live in inter- interesting times, which I usually, which I think is usually meant to be ironic. You were elected mayor in April of 2020 in the midst of the confluence of several significant events. There was the emergence of this uh, COVID epidemic and the quarantines that uh, accompanied that. Uh, the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis while in police custody and Wauwatosa's own issues with some police interactions that led to uh, some problems here as well. So has being mayor turned out as you imagined it would? Absolutely not. So for the reasons you just mentioned, someone asked me, actually, I was interviewed on WTMJ uh, a week or two ago, and it appeared yesterday. And a similar question was asked. They said, were you prepared for this? And I said, the answer is yes and no. We knew that Wauwatosa has a history of racism, just like every city and every town uh, in the country. But we've come a long way since then. We've become a very welcoming city, but we still have lingering traces of that. And uh, because of that, uh, and because of the pandemic and George Floyd and everything else that was going on, um, some of that got dredged up. And then, uh, you know, we had a police officer who had shot and killed three men of color in the line of duty. And obviously that was a flashpoint uh, after George Floyd. So um, who could have predicted a pandemic that was the worst thing of its sort since 1918? That was what I walked into. George Floyd happened a month after I got sworn in. And you've neglected to point out, we also had a kid get hit by a train a few days after George Floyd got murdered. Fortunately, he's doing all right. Uh, we then later in the year after we dealt with Officer Mensa, 
and he agreed to resign in, in exchange for a settlement agreement. The following day, uh, a 15-year-old uh, shot eight people at Mayfair Mall. Fortunately, nobody died. And then a few mo- uh, weeks later, a mentally ill woman in the village got shot by police because she was attacking people. So that was 2020 for me. I mean, who could have predicted so many of those events, you know? Uh, but when I said yes and no, some of it could have been predicted because, again, uh, I knew that as mayor, I would have to deal with the lingering traces of the racism and the segregation from the past. And that's something every community in America should deal with. And uh, given that Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area is the most segregated area in the country, I expected some of that. Now, there are a lot of protests uh, last summer, 2020. Do you think that the protests solved anything or moved the ball forward in, in terms of racial relations? Well, that's interesting because I just saw another uh, uh, report of a poll tonight, the PBS Marist poll, uh, where 17% said that race relations improved last year, 39% said it didn't change at all, and 43% said it got worse. That's in some ways very similar to some recent polls I've seen from other organizations. I think it depends on which part of the elephant you're you're touching. In some ways, things have gotten better. In some ways, things have stalled. And in some ways, things have gone backwards. I will tell you that a great many Wauwatosans over the last year have thanked me for what I've done. They've come to my door and left handwritten notes. They've dropped off flowers. They've brought cakes. They've written emails. They've stopped me at the grocery store at the, or at the athletic club, stopped me when I'm raking leaves or shoveling snow, and they thanked me. But a lot of them said to me, you know, I support Black Lives Matter, but I don't support the tactics. I don't support what's going on. So uh, in some ways, the protests have heightened uh, sensitivities and sensibilities and brought the discussion into full focus. And in other ways, though, uh, it may have set some of it back with some people. So I think it's a mixed bag. One other thing, in addition to the protests, I want to mention in terms of public gatherings, I just happened to be at that public listening session at Hart Park. I just happened upon it. And so I sat up in the stands and I, I watched that. And there was largely a series of people airing the complaints about Wauwatosa's governance or the police department or the officer involved in the shootings that you mentioned or their complaint that Wauwatosa wasn't welcoming enough. Even though it was difficult, I think that it was successful as much that people got a chance to let off some steam. That particular night, what else do you think was accomplished? I'm not sure that anything else was accomplished. It was intended to have... Uh, the elected officials of Wauwatosa listened to the complaints. It, it, in a sense, it was to let the air out of the balloon. We hoped that some of the pressure that had built up might dissipate a little bit so that people would take a step back and try to work through the system a little bit. I don't think that worked at all, frankly. Um, I'm sorry to say that I'm not sure that the listening session did much good other than to let people air their grievances. Sure. Obviously, your position uh, that you have, you have to make decisions and you have to, I don't want to say choose a side, but you have to make concrete, distinct decisions on what you're going to do in certain situations and uh, caught in the middle, I'm sure, a lot of times. And um, have you ever been afraid for your safety this year? I would say no, but I did tell my children uh, during the summer that there's a, there was a non-trivial chance that somebody might take a shot at me. 
we've had 31 nights of protests at my house alone. Uh, there are people uh, on both sides, um, you know, counter protesters, protesters, uh, people's revolution people, a lot of them were carrying guns. People on the other side were carrying guns. Uh, they were milling around in a lot of places, including my house. Uh, emotions were running high. Uh, at that listening session, you talked about many, many people were carrying guns, it turned out, according to the city staff who saw the people in the filing by and going up in the stands. Um, I was never afraid. That isn't the way I go through life. Uh, but I was realistic. Sure. Um, you know, if you're not ready for uh, danger in a way, you're not ready to be an elected official in uh, emotionally charged times. Uh, so... I just had to, you know, uh, I subscribe to the theory that you just do what your conscience tells you to do and what the law tells you you can do, and and then you move forward with confidence. Yep. Not long before Wauwatosa had its major issues in terms of the final disposition of uh, Amensa's case, there was that incident that happened in Kenosha. How much did the incident that happened in Kenosha guide you uh, to deal with the impending situation in Wauwatosa. So what you're talking about, of course, is the announcement that occurred on October 7th, 2020, by the district attorney who decided not to charge Officer Mensa with a crime for his shooting of Alvin Cole on February 2nd, 2020 at Mayfair. Um, uh, Kenosha had everything to do with it, uh, but that wasn't uh, all of it. The violence in Minneapolis, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, Louisville, Philadelphia, Madison, we forget. Early June, uh, State Street was trashed. Uh, statues were toppled. A state senator got beaten up because he was observing. All of those things factored into our decision, as did the um, incidents of violence that occurred in Wauwatosa uh, during the summer. But Kenosha happened uh, five weeks before the DA's announcement in Milwaukee. And after that, uh, the governor was not going to allow Wauwatosa to turn into another Kenosha. People say, oh, well, you overreacted, but let us remember that. Uh, and they've accused me of being a racist. Uh, I try to remind them that the people who died in Kenosha were the Black Lives Matter protesters, not the counter protesters. Sure. The people who got hurt in Kenosha were BLM protesters, not the counter protesters. And eight blocks of Kenosha burned to the ground. It caused uh, $52 million in damage. Uh, people's businesses were lost. Their homes were lost. It wasn't racist for Wauwatosa to try to protect human lives as well as property. We were as concerned about all the lives in Wauwatosa, and that included the BLM protesters. We could not allow another Kyle Rittenhouse to come in with a shotgun and take out BLM protesters. We weren't going to allow that. But even with the National Guard in place, we saw counter-protesters as well. We saw armed people on both sides. And one night, General Knapp from the National Guard was standing behind me at our emergency operations center. And we were watching drone footage and other footage on, on Facebook. And all of a sudden, he got a call that said that protesters on, and counter-protesters were massing on Lincoln Avenue in West Dallas, uh, where some of the People who were being ticketed were uh, taken for booking because Wauwatosa didn't have enough room. West Dallas police were helping us. Uh, he dispatched 25 soldiers to West Dallas 
to make sure that there wasn't a shooting match on Lincoln Avenue. That's how serious this was. Wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that. I I hadn't heard anything about that. The only thing I heard about was um, the march down North Avenue. There's a couple broken windows, some people throwing some bricks at, at an apartment building. So not good, obviously, but it wasn't. It was nothing compared to. Well, I mean, it was nothing compared to Kenosha. But then you hear stories like this. We had right? threats of arson beforehand. People were threatening to burn down Mayfair mm-hmm. during the nights of protests. Um, we had a. Um, a protest or maybe more than one pulled dumpsters uh, out into the middle of North Avenue at about uh, Lefebvre in North at 72nd in North. Uh, they pulled dumpsters out from businesses and they tried to light them on fire. Uh, we had people who had materials used in making Molotov cocktails and uh, backpacks with them. Um, there were protesters throwing bricks and rocks and water bottles at police uh, $16,000 in damage to windows along North Avenue and all that. And everybody was heading for Mayfair. So, uh, and we didn't have looting in Wauwatosa, but just across the border, some of the protesters went over to Center Street and looted businesses there and then went up to the Speedway at 92nd and Burleigh and looted there as well. So uh, small potatoes compared to Kenosha, but an indication of what could have happened if we didn't have people in place to uh, keep the peace. Sure. Were there a lot of protesters that you learned were not from this area, maybe the Pacific Northwest or whatnot, where there were more problems? Well, it's interesting. I got a call from the Kenosha mayor, John Antaramian, during the protest period. And he just asked, you know, he was expressing his support and asked me how things are going. And his most uh, urgent question was, did you have outsiders come in? And I said, we had some. I don't think as many as you did, Mr. Mayor. And he said, we had a lot. And he said, that's what I was worried about with Wauwatosa. So, for example, uh, we had um, a woman from Seattle named Katie something. She was doing a live Facebook feed. She was marching with the protesters at least the first night, if not the second night. So we were watching her. She was a young blonde woman, about 28 years old, said she was from Seattle. So she was on the left wing side. And then on the other side of it, we had some guy, and I don't remember his name, but I can see his face. He was driving around in a car. He was a right-wing guy who was a Kyle Rittenhouse supporter. And I know that because he said, I'm going down to Kenosha tomorrow, and I'm going to show support for Kyle at the courthouse and all that. And he was doing a live Facebook feed as well. And we were watching these things from our emergency operations center, and there were others as well. So, yes, there were outsiders. How many? I can't say. Um, the fact that it was pretty well publicized that uh, Wauwatosa had brought in uh, police from other departments and the National Guard was there, I think uh, that kept a lot of people away, frankly. Uh, again, if we had uh, just rolled over and said, oh, let's see how people act, I think things could have been very different. Yep. Let me ask you about these uh, the marches that took place in different parts of Wauwatosa, North Avenue, being the one that was in front of my house, that happened frequently over the course of the summer. These were, I guess, spontaneous, but they were probably planned via Facebook or something like that. No, they were not spontaneous. They were well planned. Uh, Now, I imagine that these did not have permits. And I got the feeling that Wautosa said, you know, kind of hands off, let let them march. Was that the case? First of all, the ACLU guidelines say that people are, and and this is, I, I agree with the guidelines. They they do a good job of um, describing what uh, 
Supreme Court uh, cases have said about marches and protests and things like that. But if you march down <clears throat> a sidewalk or one lane of a street and you're not blocking traffic or impeding pedestrians, uh, you're entitled to do that. Uh, if you're going to block off a whole street, you need a permit. A lot of times, as you know, uh, people were blocking off entire streets. They're blocking off intersections. They were impeding traffic. But, you know, the problem is that Wauwatosa has at that time had 92 sworn officers, uh, eight patrol officers per shift. There's usually one officer in a car <coughs> patrolling each of the eight aldermanic districts. There was not enough people power in the Wauwatosa police force to handle those situations every night and make people uh, observe every law every night. When things got crazy, we would call in West Dallas and Brookfield and others for help. If And uh, during the protest period, we obviously had to call in uh, people from as far away as Mineral Point, La Crosse, Green Bay, Beaver Dam, and then the National Guard as well. So to answer your question directly and fully, the police and I talk frequently about that. Uh, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? I'm getting a lot of complaints. They said, we just don't, we just don't have the people power for that. Sure. Right. So, it, it, and, it, and they didn't want to, they didn't want to exacerbate things. They didn't want to get people all riled up and people were riled up enough. So they thought as long as bad things aren't happening, we're just going to let it, you know, we're going to monitor it. We're going to watch it and make sure that bad things don't happen. Yeah. There were a couple of times when bad things did happen, when the protesters went into the Cheesecake Factory at Mayfair and pushed people around and shut the business down. Uh, that That's an extreme violation of law. And I talked to some of the protest leaders and they said, why would you arrest people out at Mayfair? And I said, because they broke the law. They shut down businesses. And they said, well, we get to do that because this is protest and civil disobedience. And I said, no, it's a very bright line. You can march down the street. You can march down the sidewalk. Just don't bother anybody. And Mayfair at that point even said they can even protest in our parking lot if they want, even though that's private property. I said, but what you can't do is break laws. You can't shut down businesses. You can't push people. So that's the bright line. Stay on the good side of the law and, and you won't get a ticket. You won't get arrested. Uh, shut down Cheesecake Factory, push people, uh, uh, try to shut down Mayfair, you're going to get arrested. Yeah, and obviously, like you said, you took a step back with those guys just to, you know, make sure that, that nothing happens. And it's it's got to be a really tough position to be in for the police officers because they know that it's such a delicate situation that you got to be careful where you intervene, when you intervene. Um, like you said, you know, okay, they're breaking laws. Okay, now we're going to we're going to intervene, but there's going to be pushback. And then what do we do? And how far does that escalate? And right. uh, it kind of makes, well, my, it makes my stomach kind of not up even just thinking about it, let alone being in that position. Well, and it was difficult for me politically in that I was getting pounded by people on the conservative end of the spectrum. Why aren't you doing more to stop these horrible protesters? And on the, on the far left side of the spectrum, how dare you, uh, you know, say boo to the protesters? How, yep. how, you know, why are you not letting them do anything they want? So I was getting whipsawed between these two extremes. But I will tell you that the 70 to 80 percent of people in the middle, even those who uh, supported the BLM goals, uh, were not in favor of uh, people getting out of hand and uh, shutting down the Cheesecake Factory and smashing windows and driving on people's lawns and shining strobe lights in people's windows and playing loud music at 1230 in the morning and all. You know, a lot of people have said, oh, 
how dare you? These were peaceful protests. And I, I said, please explain what you mean by peaceful, because that's not what I saw. And then the worst incident, of course, was at the home of Officer Mensa's girlfriend's house on August 8th, when there was a melee of about 150 people screaming and yelling, driving on lawns. Uh, uh, Mensa came out, which was not a smart move, but then he got hit in the head with a bullhorn, and then somebody shot a shotgun yeah. at the house. Yeah, it's crazy. Three people got arrested, and they've been charged with felonies, and other people were given tickets and all that. So what part of that was peaceful? Right. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of naivete, uh, and there's a lot of uh, revisionist history here. Uh, the lawyer for the Cole family even said recently that there was no property damage the night of October 7th. Well, that was the night that we had all that uh, all that broken glass and the, and the rest of it, too. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know what books they're they're reading, but, they're, you know, they're fiction. They're not they're not history. Right. Right. So my view of this and again you know a lot of these things you're telling me about with west dallas i had never heard about but my view of this was that most of the people that i knew who were interested in protesting or you know uh, the protests themselves were like you said before probably in the 80 percent who said you know this is supposed to be a peaceful thing we just want the voices heard and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it's unfortunately i think i would think is i would say it's a small minority but maybe it's not that small but it's a minority of people who are interested in going further than that. And sometimes I think, but I, sometimes I think it's people who just feel the need to break stuff or do stuff and they're looking for a reason, whatever reason that is, whether you win a championship or you lose a championship or this, this kind of thing. There, there are a group of people out there who are just looking to, to cause trouble. You are a hundred percent right. If there are a hundred protesters on a given night, probably, 90 to 95 of them are peaceful and they just wanted to go out and express an opinion. It's the five or 10 people out of a hundred that are out there to cause trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've seen that you, you mentioned uh, championships. We saw that in Cleveland a few years ago, Detroit and a few other, you know, uh, your NBA team wins the championship. Everybody ought to be happy. They ought to be hugging each other. They ought to be singing songs and cheering. And yet there's always somebody out there who is taking advantage of the situation to break a window or to, steal something or whatever. And it's really unfortunate because it taints everything. The other part of this, people said to me, well, why did you call a curfew at 7 p.m.? That's outrageous. <laughs> well, there's a simple answer to that. Uh, it turns dark at about 7 p.m. on October 7th. Mm-hmm. And what police will tell you, and what I just read again, it, with, uh, there was an article about Kenosha after the DA made a decision down there about the Jacob Blake case. Um, they said uh, there were peaceful protests until it got dark. Mm-hmm. And then it yep. changes completely. Sure. All of a sudden, the troublemakers come out because in the cover of dark, people do bad things. Right. So, uh, first of all, we didn't want to eliminate protests. That, that's not constitutional. It's not fair. And it's not what we wanted. But at 7 o'clock at night, when it turned dark, we knew that our ability to control those that small percentage of troublemakers would be magnified or our inability would be magnified by, by the fact that it was dark. And that's the sole reason for a seven o'clock curfew. If it had been, uh, you know, July 7th, then uh, we might've let it go till nine thirty or 10. But, um, but that, that's the, that's the, the, the issue. There's right. always going to be somebody who's going to cause trouble, but I will say that, 
there were several groups <clears throat> protesting in Wauwatosa, and some are always peaceful, and one group was often unpeaceful. Mm-hmm. You know that that was a weird time for uh, for for I think for everybody. But just there was a couple of times where I was like, oh, I'm just going to run to the store. Like, oh wait, I can't I can't do that today. <laughs> it's like it's kind of like um, it was kind of like the COVID lockdown um, uh, on steroids kind of thing. You know, like right. no, you can't you can't leave your house even after seven. You, know? <laughs> you can't well, the, leave your house. The, the truly unfortunate part about that as well was that it was beautiful weather at that point. Unusually yes. warm. Right. Pretty weather, you know, high 70s and all that. And the restaurants, you know, wanted to stay open outside so that they could make some money during the COVID lockdown. And uh, and they couldn't do that. But mm-hmm. um, but those same businesses were begging us in the weeks before uh, the curfew to make sure that their bil- buildings were not burned down. Right, right. You know, I, 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 you know, I had business owner after business owner beg me, please, please take care of us. This is my family's livelihood. Well, I can't allow this to happen and all. So they were unhappy about the fact they couldn't make money those nights, but they were very happy that uh, their businesses were protected. Yeah. Getting back to that listening session that I mentioned, a lot of talk then was, you know, how Wauwatosa was deemed unwelcoming to people of color. Mm-hmm. What, what can be done? to make people of color feel more welcome in Wautosa. And then, of course, obviously there will, be, there, there will always be some people that will never be satisfied. So right. what concrete steps could be done to convince people that we're more welcoming? Well, first of all, let me talk about my background, please. Um, sure. I was raised by a woman who was the vice chair of the Democratic Party during the Kennedy administration in, in Wisconsin. She was a political reporter, too. We... we uh, I'm the only elected official among the seven McBride siblings, but we, we all care passionately about politics, but also about racial justice. That's how we are raised, my mother and father both. Um, my heroes during the 60s, and I go that far back, were Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, and the Kennedy brothers, all of whom were you know, on the front lines of fighting discrimination in one way, shape, or form. That affected my life. I became a a lawyer for the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for 24 years. And I fought hard for people <clears throat> who were discriminated against based on race, sex, religion, disability, etc. There's a PBS Frontline program that I appeared on in, on, in, on June 25th, 2013, called Rape in the Fields. I represented women, undocumented women from Mexico, Guatemala, and El Salvador who were being raped and sexually assaulted on the job as a condition of employment. I got them green cards. I was the first lawyer in the country to get green cards under this special program called the U visa program. I got them millions of dollars. Uh, I represented black people in court against target corporation, won big victories and all that. This has been my passion my whole life. And I could, you know, and I, I was the one who applied to get the Zeddy Heiler home named a Wauwatosa landmark. He was the first a black man in Wauwatosa to own a home. Uh, this is all painful to me. You have to look for allies. And a lot of people, unfortunately, who were protesting didn't think there were any allies in Wauwatosa. And they thought that people like me were against them. But what I was trying to do was remind them that not only am I a lawyer, I took uh, probably over time seven oaths of office uh, between working as a federal employee and, and, and becoming a, uh, an elected official. 
I have to follow the law of Wisconsin and federal law and all the rest of it. So when they were demanding that I fire Joseph Mensa, even though Wisconsin statutes give total authority over hiring, firing, and discipline to the police and fire commission. I have no say in that. And they demanded that I fire Chief Weber. I have no authority to do that. Uh, the lawyers for the various uh, families, the Cole family and all that, were spreading misinformation and to this day, spread misinformation about my authority to do certain things. I will not violate the law. I will work in the system. I will not sanction violence. Those things are off the table. They're, they're non-negotiable. But I have fought hard my entire life through the system, and I continue to do that to make sure that people are treated fairly. And in the last year, we have done incredible things. I just celebrated a few weeks ago my, my one-year anniversary as mayor during that time. And I'm not taking all the credit, but, you know, I'm the mayor, so I get the blame. I'll take some of the credit, too. Uh, we banned chokeholds. We uh, took the... Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce pledged to greatly increase our hiring of people of color and our promotion of people of color to supervisory roles. The first community in Wisconsin to do that. We bought body cameras that cost, it's going to cost us $750,000, which is a lot for a community our size, but we made that commitment. Uh, we are working, we've had community listening sessions, as you pointed out on July 21st, 2020 at Hart Park, but also through the Zeidler Group. We've had a series of those. We continue those. We've uh, put implicit bias training in place for our employees, all employees, not just the police department, but all employees and elected officials. We're working on affordable housing uh, programs uh, to undo some of the pernicious effects of the segregation over the years. We're about to get $25 million from the federal government through the American Rescue Plan, and I've already said I want some of that money set aside to increase the amount of our affordable housing funds so we can actually put some oomph into those programs. Um, I could go on and on, but we've done a million and one things, and we're continuing to do that. We've got a long list of things we're working on, but we're working through the system. And I know that that bothers people. And they say, well, it, it doesn't go fast enough. And, you know, this the, slavery happened in 1619 and we've had 400 years. I get that. Uh, I can't undo 400 years of discrimination in a year's time. And I won't be able to do it in four years or eight years or whatever as mayor. But what I can do is what I can do and we can keep moving forward. And then I'll pass the baton to the next runner. And he or she can pass it to the next runner and we'll keep doing it. That's how change gets done in this uh, community and in this country. And if people don't like it, what they're saying is they don't like democracy. We've had a fair amount of anarchy over the last year and, and anarchy and I don't get along very well. I get along very well with democracy. So uh, I appointed the first person of color to the library board. And you might say, so what? But that's the most popular board in Wauwatosa. Everybody wants to be on it. I just appointed the first person of color to the plan commission, which is an extremely important board. It uh, manages our development in Wauwatosa. I've already committed as soon as I get an opportunity to, to appoint a person of color to the police and fire commission. In all these ways, we're going to continue to move forward. So I've been asking people, I've been begging people. I met with the protest leaders last year, many of them, and I got criticized for doing that by the police and others, but the hell with it. Uh, I'm trying to reach out to people and say, look, work with us. Unfortunately, talking to the protest leaders didn't go very far. But, you know, 
I'm a, a student of Irish history. I, I was the coordinator of the Hedge School at Irish Fest for 12 years. And uh, I have read a lot about the Northern Ireland peace process. And a lot of people said, well, how dare you talk to the IRA? And on the other side, how dare you talk to the Protestant paramilitaries? If you don't bring people into the room who are causing the trouble, you're not going to solve the trouble. Right. You exactly. have to bring everybody under the tent. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm taking a lot of shots for it from all sides. But again, those the 70 to 80% of people in the middle in Wauwatosa say, thank you for what you're doing. And, uh, you know, Mark Twain once said, always do the right thing. It'll gratify your friends and astonish the rest. That's, <laughs> uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, uh, Mayor McBride, it, it must have been a very difficult year for you. And we hear your passion here. And I, I certainly hope that a lot of the things that you're doing are going to bear fruit in the future. And I, I don't doubt that they will. And so I want to thank you for talking to us here on this first half of your interview about politics. Like I said, we typically don't get involved in that, but we thought we'd do that tonight. So we'll take a little break. Seemed appropriate, right, for the mayor. (laughs) And avoid it. My dad always said you can't take politics out of politics. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll take a little break and we'll come back with a little bit more lighthearted stuff in the second half. All right. All right. Great. Thank you. I'll get some water now. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast for the conclusion of our interview with the mayor of Wauwatosa, Dennis McBride. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.